brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome to the Baseball America podcast. Baseball America, bringing you baseball news you can't get anywhere else for more than 35 years. Now it's time to talk baseball. Thank you, Dave Slade. I know it's been a long time since we've podcasted at Baseball America. It's the end of June. We've realized, JJ, we just needed to go ahead and squeeze in a podcast before June ended. Because why the hell not? What else we got doing? We're sitting here waiting for Kyle Old Series copy. Josh Norris also joining us. So you might get to see the JJ and the Bear uh, gif. Probably my favorite, I guess, gif. Probably my favorite GIF in Baseball oh, America history. It's a GIF to me. It's G-I-F. I like it. I love the J.J. and the Bear GIF. And uh, you guys haven't podcasted together in a while, so I'm bringing you guys together here. Yeah. It must have been your mutual hatred of each other that, uh, that kept you <laughs> apart from each other. He is my sworn rival. I'm about to say, I, I'll tell you what we all hate, though. There are a lot of hot-button topics. The end of June, this has just been a freaking crazy month. I mean, like, I don't it know. Is. We're all a little frazzled, though, but this has been even bigger for, for than usual. We've got a major league game down the road coming up. We don't even know how we're going to go. Like, we got to be there for 12 hours for this major league game in Fort Bragg. we got uh, draft signings, Fast and Furious, College Series that took forever, finally ended. And now we have this lawsuit, guys. We've had this lawsuit. We've been writing about this for literally, I, I can say literally because I looked it up, at least six years. But Major League Baseball dipping its toe in today. And Minor League Baseball has had its say. Uh, but I guess, Josh, you, you're the one who's written the most about it. But I'll try to sum up to tee you up on this. Essentially, minor league baseball is resisting this lawsuit to try to pay minor league players a little bit more of a living wage. And the minor league lawsuit, uh, you know, no, it's would really radically... Pay a minimum wage. Right. It would radically change the way minor leaguers are paid because it would, change, it would pay them a minimum wage, which isn't a living wage. You're right, JJ. Good point. Um, but minor league baseball resisting any calls to pay minor league players more... And Major League Baseball did begin its toe in today, basically talking about how much it subsidizes minor league baseball and how this whole system would fall apart if minor leaguers were played more. Um, you had this bill introduced in Congress called the Save America's Pastime Act. That one of the two sponsors and, has already backed out of. Right. It was bipartisan sponsorship. Now the Democratic sponsor has backed out. The Democratic sponsor who... Her father was MLB's first lobbyist and who took money from the MLB commissioner's office. That's the one who has backed out. Brett Guthrie of Kentucky 
uh, the Republican from Kentucky is still involved. Uh, and MLB issued its statement today in full support of it. Shocking, absolutely no one. Right. Um, it's the, the, the crux of what they're arguing is that MILB players are exempt from the Fair Labor Standards Act of 1938. Right. Basically, it says they're seasonal workers, right? That's, that's what I was getting to. Yep. Yes, it says they're seasonal workers. Uh, this is a short Seasonal apprentice. Apprentices, right? right. But, and they, later in the statement, they say they're so much like musicians or artists who are not uh, covered by the FLSA. This is, this is exactly the argument that we heard Stan Brand make. Uh, first, when he sounded the alarm at the winter meetings in 2014, and then the you and I sat there and heard him, the speech he gave at the winter meetings in Nashville, this year, 2015, Stan Brand, longtime lobbyist in Washington, D.C., who's been the, the lobbyist basically on Capitol Hill for minor league baseball for 25 years, if not longer. He's a power player up there. He knows everybody. He knows congressmen. He can give meetings, and he clearly got what he wanted in this bill. Now, whether the bill passes or not you know, is a whole other matter, um, but he and got what minor league baseball wanted. Right. He got what he wanted in this bill, uh, in the makeup of the bill, I mean, this is not to be too cynical or too political, J.J., but this is kind of how the sausage gets made these days is the lobbyists often write the bill. That's what it sounds like with this bill. Well, it, it is unusual that a sponsor of a bill would less than 24 hours later essentially say, whoa, 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 I'm not touching this bill. I'm, I thank you for your feedback. I'm backing. I'm not supporting it anymore. That was not someone who said they were going to support the bill. That was one of the two co-sponsors of the bill. This is Sherry Bustos, and who even, sounds suspiciously Greek. And even more shockingly, she, in her statement, say she said she backed out after she did more uh, research on the topic, which you might want to go yeah, ahead and know your topic before you author it. Know your beat. Hashtag know your beat. But really what it comes down to, to me, is, is that MLB has an argument here, which is a pretty limited one, but... The way I guess the world is now is you don't make the argument based on that very, very limited argument. You try to use very alarmist language. Yes. In the release that they had today, MLB said, look, we spend over half a billion dollars in bonuses and salaries for players every year. If minor league baseball had to pay for this, then it would, you know, minor league baseball would not would fold essentially, which is completely true. But it's also something that no one has in any way proposed that minor league baseball teams are going to have to start paying for the the bonuses of the first round picks. The reality is is that when you say half a billion, well, we know we're 230, 230-240 million of that is draft bonuses. And if you bought it through the international, then you're going to get closer to that quarter of a billion like you're talking so about. So what you're talking about is, is the majority of that money is bonuses, which... Yes, if you were a first-round pick, the reality is is that this is not a, a this whole deal is not something that is particularly germane to you because or a second-round pick these days. I mean, right. those second-round picks are good. They're really going to be what 65, 70 players with a million-dollar bonuses. Right. But so if you're getting a million dollars as your bonus, the reality is is that then making eleven hundred fifty dollars a month in rookie ball or whatever, which is a roughly the right number. I had an agent tweet at me when I tweeted this out. He has clients making three thousand this year. Period. For the year, for because the year. right, because you because if you only get paid, you only get paid in regular play. season from opening day to closing day, not spring training, not instructional league. There might be a stipend for the fall league. That's what I thought. I thought the fall league was a stipend, but we have to research but, but, that. But let's but, take but, some, isn't that also true though for MLB players? Or they can they can have their contracts structured 
so they get regular pay, but, but I think they also... Let's it, doesn't be honest, matter. it doesn't matter when you're making right. you know, 500000 When the minimum is the right. Yeah. yeah, but but so the thing about this is is that when the, if you get those bonuses, then yeah, it's no big deal, but that is the minority of players. It's the minority of international players. It's the minority of draft picks. The majority of draft picks, every team drafts 40 players. So we, we start from there. More than... Basically, three out of every four of those 40 draft picks, and admittedly not every team, most teams don't sign all 40, but let's just make it simple. 75% of those players drafted are getting signing bonuses of 100000 or less. Yes, now, and, so, and we even had, what, uh, Jesse Schultons of Wright State this year, a good college pitcher, a senior. And some of these college seniors are signing for 5000 7500 10000 In the top Shulton, 10 rounds. Schulton signed for a grand. I mean that was that's a flight. That was surprising. So, well, well, that's yeah, a round trip flight. Because he's yeah, because he's paying tax on it. Yeah. So, but the reality of it is, is that you are talking about for the majority of these players, they are not getting a bonus that says, okay, I can live off that bonus while I undergo quote this apprenticeship. For the majority of these players, it is something where what you get to is is by the time you are in year four or so, and you are you have to a lot of times make an assessment. Not that I'm not going to make the big leagues, but if I have a very small shot of making it to the big leagues, do I need to quit? Right. Because if I don't, I'm, I've, I basically have borrowed from my parents, or you've, you know, my, I can't get enough, a good enough winter job to subsidize my summer. I'm tired of basically sharing a room with three other roommates. Yeah, exactly. There's only so many lessons I spent time in the day for me to give. Personal hitting lessons. Right. And Mike so, Miller, who was called up by the Red Sox yesterday, uh, said to some one of the Boston reporters that in five years in the minor leagues he's made forty grand. Right. That's absurd. Well, that, that, I mean, that is reality. Normal. I mean, that's reality, but it's, it's very normal. Um, the problem is, you know, to me is that minor league baseball is such a different enterprise. What other industry are there really where basically eighty to ninety percent of the players involved? Are there just to be competition for the right. top ten percent? It's such a unique enterprise. So there, so I don't, I, I understand why you would, why one would argue that they don't fall under this, uh, the FLSA. But the the thing about the, the, the fundamental, <laughs> what you said, JJ, about the alarmist language is why um, Major League Baseball is never going to win this in a court of public opinion. First of all, it's Fair Labor Standards Act. That is something that everyone should be able to get behind. This was passed in 1938, Depression era. It should be easy to want to have fair labor standards. B, you have Major League Baseball with this Saving America's Pastime and they, Act, and, and that, and that so-called yesterday, Act. In that release yesterday, they said, like, basically, without this, you could see teams like the Louisville Bats or the Bowling Green Hot Rods or Hot these Rod. teams go away, which, again, that is alarmist language because the reality of it is, is that, no, I mean, that's, the after effects of this, if this happened, is not going to be, well, this, the Louisville Bats, who draw this significant amount of fans right. every year in a very nice stadium that draws good revenue. I, I promise you this. If minor league baseball completely ceased to exist tomorrow, you can't tell me that there would not be an independent league team at the, at the least in there. Exactly. You know, I mean, the, which, which, by the way, independent league teams are not paid... They, they're, they pay their salaries themselves. The argument you can make, and I think, again, that Major League Baseball, but they 
are going, they have this, this smidgen of an argument, and then they're trying to make it into something that's this monolith of an argument, right. is that, okay, if this doesn't happen, could it kill independent baseball? Absolutely. If that independent baseball, which again, there's no reason that if you're talking about that minor league players need to be paid a, 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 a much significantly higher wage to make sure that they're paying it at least minimum wage, and they're having to be paid... Again, I think there are some hourly constructing how many hours that is right. that you're paying them is very difficult. But if you did work that all out, and you said that min- that that's true for affiliated minor league baseball, well, logically it also applies to independent baseball. And in independent baseball, if you did legitimately, if you said we're going to go from this guy makes a thousand dollars a month to he has to make three thousand dollars a month. Well, you'd have very few independent leagues that left. That could really hurt any ball. But the, the, so the last paragraph, and I, I think you wanted to say something, Josh. I don't mean to, to let me know. You can, I, you I can had, interrupt me. I, I had said that you guys were talking about, you know, it was uh, something that the FLSA was something everyone could get behind. I had multiple people in my Twitter feed yesterday saying, you know, I'm a Republican, but I'm for this. Or I'm I'm for this, that, and the other thing. I, I, I fall this way as, a, as my political beliefs. But this is an exception to that rule. And I, and I really, United everyone. I really do think the reason is because of what JJ said, because of the overblown language. So this this last paragraph of MLB's statement, minor league baseball players always have been salaried employees similar to artists, musicians, and other creative professionals who are exempt from the Fair Labor Standards Act. You can make that argument. It would be easy to make that argument if you had, you know, raised minor leaguers per diem to keep up with the cost of living, or raise some of these minor league salaries over the years as the industry went from a $2 billion industry 20 years ago when I started here to $9 billion now. But all that $9 billion, those, those revenues have all gone to, just like everything else in American society, the top, the owners and, and the, the players, players, not to the rank and file. It's See, not, that top no. 1% in the, in the industry. Now, I, again, I have, and, my, and I have my proposal. Oh, but these are the same owners who are successfully taking away health care and insurance benefits from yes. scouts and non-uniform personnel. They're taking away their benefits. They're taking away their uh, pension plans. That, that used to be one of the great benefits of working for a major league baseball organization. If you were not a player, you got pensions. And these things are being taken away by from scouts by a lot of these clubs. Why? Because they, they, because they can. Because they do that in their other businesses that made them billionaires to buy these major league franchises. So... Why they so that so they if they could have saved themselves just by raising some of these salaries? But this other sentence, like other professionals, it's simply impractical to treat professional athletes as hourly employees whose pay may be that, that may be true. Right. Whose again, pay? But here's the, here's where they lose people whose pay may be determined by such things as how long their games last, when they choose to arrive at the ballpark, how much they practice or condition to stay in shape, and how many promotional or charitable appearances. They make. I mean, <laughs> that is. I have to stop laughing to read that sentence. That's unbelievable to go from like a reasonable position and a reasonable, I think, winnable argument, and then to finish with, hey, we're not paying these guys extra for charitable contributions they're making that builds our brands, not theirs. To me, though, I do have a solution for this, which will not happen. But my, Preach. My, my logical solution for this is okay, which we just talked about. There are 230, 240 million dollars a year going towards signing bonuses for draftees. Yes. And if you said we're going to take that, 
it, this requires both sides who, the reality is, is the reason all this is happening is, is that there is no union at the minor league level. Correct. And thank they're you, almost assuredly, thank you, the winner, right? There, there right almost assuredly never will be one. There never will be. This was a like, story I started on before I got to BA, the, and then there will never be stopped. there will never be a minor league union because the reality of this is that the players who would try to form a minor league union, the cost benefit ratio for them is so dramatically averse to the benefits for the cost. It also would be like the like the NFL quarterbacks club. The guys who are like the quarterbacks, the top prospects, those guys would have their own union, right? Separate from they would be the major league union, not the minor league union. It really it would be like that, but. What you could do, though, that MLB and MLBPA could do here is, and it would require them to get together and agree on this, but, okay, because they just said Major League Baseball does half billion dollars. That money right now is done in a way. If you said, okay, draft bonuses internationally, we're going to cut it, because they, they now have strict caps. Absolutely. This is not something you could have done 10 years ago. Correct. Because or 10 years ago, years ago. Six, but six nowadays ago. when you say, we know how much we're going to spend in the draft. We know. And we're going to take, let's say, what would it take? $50 million? $50 million from that. And we'll take $50 million from that. And we can take $50 million. And again, I'm doing the math off the top of my head. Well, so it may be a, less than that. So there are t- roughly 25 players per team in the minor leagues. And there are how many teams? 160? 180. Let's just it? work with the, the, the full, four no, full seasons. No, we don't. Let's work with Fowl alone. That's, that's, you got to work Fowl there's, there's a you got the That's 4,000 players. So, but if you said... Roughly. Because again, because the, the, the short season guys and all, and the DSL guys and all, are the guys who are in the, usually in the worst shape financially with this. But if you said that owners kick in without, you know, they have to do that without basically just slashing everyone else, you know, hey, all, all of a sudden we're cutting everyone else in our staff. But if, if both sides would kick in a little bit of money from percentage-wise of the $9 billion, it would not take much. But that's not what's going to happen. Right. Yeah, because if you just have 4,000 players roughly and you wanted to pay them $10,000 a year, as a minor league salary, roughly. That was the average. That's a lot of zeros. <laughs> you know? That's a lot of money. I can't even count the zeros. One, two, three. I'm, I'm so bad at this. That's seven zeros. It's $40 million. It's $40 million. That's, that's, that's a rod salary. Who's, but, right. Well, who's gonna, less. where's that going to come from? Well, when you say that, though, I'm just saying, where's, who's going to get that up? When you say that, I just summed it up. Like, if you could literally, you could go, you could literally take, if you said that we're going to cut, next year's draft bonuses will go down instead of up. And so we're going to cut 25 mil from there. But then at the same time, MLB has to take 25 mil from, you know, their, their shared revenue from, you know, BAM. And they have to kick in $25 million each year. I mean, if you $10,000 doesn't even that much, but, but $10,000 salary would be a raise for most of those but players. But if you did $25 million each, which again, that would mean that draft bonuses would go from 230 to 205 You're still taking money away from that pool of players, basically. Yes. Why, would you, why, saying, would, you, why would you even want to reduce bonuses? Why not just ask the Major League Players Association and Major League Baseball to just any owners, fifty million dollars each, a hundred million dollars like an escrow, like every year out of this nine billion dollar revenue pot that goes to minor well, that I goes just, to raise standards for again, minor leagues. The reason I say that is because they would say, "Where is that coming from?" You have to say it from somewhere. When you say, "Pull, take that money from that revenue," where is that? We're going to cut from? taxes, JJ. No, no, but, saying, but if you said this, because really all you're doing then is you are essentially. 
what you would be doing is, is you would be cutting the bonuses a little bit, but you would also be cutting it from, you would be going from both sides. It would be I'm, coming I'm, out of those players, right. and it would be coming out of... I'm not, but, for, I'm not for cutting bonuses either, signing bonuses, because most of these players, none of these guys are on full rides in college anyway. A. B. Who, who knows how much money all these guys spent to go to all these showcases to get drafted. I mean, I, I'm too just, much. <laughs> too much. I'm, but like, like you just said, Josh, $50 million... Uh, it's almost basically is like two Yankee players on the what they what you what most teams what what some teams might spend on the disabled list in a year. What the, so, what the Dodgers are always spending on the pitching staff on the disabled list right now. Yeah, or on Cubans. Well, so yeah. I it mean, does. Clayton Kershaw went on today. So. It does feel like it's it's doable, and this was avoidable. A lawsuit was avoidable. This this bill could have been avoided if Major League Baseball had just treated minor league players a little more humanely. In the last 20 years. Because again, he said, he said it earlier, everything's gone up except their salaries. Or except minor league salaries. And their P- per diems. The, yeah, and their per diems. Because don't forget it was... Their per diems have gone up. They've gone up slightly. When? Uh, four years ago. Five was, years that, was that the 20 to $25? Because yeah. that, even that was a, a joke. It was the first time it had gone up in, what, 40 years? And it went up $5? So now you could have you, you could and throw in a chalupa and talk about yeah, it? Yeah, and it's not like the spreads in minor league baseball are free, too. You have to pay the clubby. Right, exactly. So they're, they're, they're dues. Yes, they're dues. I mean, the reality is, is that the, the thing that I don't understand with this in any way is there is this belief, because we've heard it, is, is that this is the price you pay, which does prove whether you're willing to pay the price to become a big leaguer. That there is this belief in some ways that... That means that when you get to the big leagues, where these, when you these get minor to the, leaguers are so entitled, JJ, is that what you're saying? But when you get to the big leagues, we've heard, you know, I'm sure y'all have heard the argument. Is when you get to the big leagues, then that's the payoff. Well, but what it does do is it eliminates players because even if they could get the payoff, if there was at least still a chance, they weren't a top prospect, but they had a chance. They, at some point, a lot of these guys say, I can't do this anymore. Right. I mean, the funny thing is, is this, we know Garrett Brocious, who is the guy who's leading spearheading now as a lawyer, is spearheading this lawsuit. We know him because he used to write for us when he was in the minors. Right. And I remember talking to him as he had to weigh this back and forth. This is a guy who had some success in the minors at times. But the reality of it is, is that he got to a point, he's like, he was an adult. When they talk about these seasonal apprenticeships, it's, it, it makes it sound like, I mean, there's one thing if to say is, is okay, you're a short season player as an 18-year-old. There is one thing about that. Like, that is a, hey, I went from playing for travel ball to I'm now playing for a big league club's, you know, rookie ball team. Right. There's a difference between that and the 25-year-old who's in double A, who's married, and basically, if he's married to a, a spouse, a, a, you know, who does not make significant money, right? You there's no way to really make it work. Or you just say, I'll see you in nine months. Because the reality of it is, is that, as he's written about at BaseballAmerica.com years ago, you have situations where you have families where you have a, you know, a couple who is sharing their room with two <laughs> other, you know, an air mattress. They got the air mattress on the floor and there's two other players in the room because that's the only way that everyone can make it work. I mean, the reality is you're going to have guys who are, who are, who did get the big bonuses, who are necessary, who are sometimes in these rooms on, you have a guy to be a future star tomorrow who's sleeping on an air mattress today. Mm-hmm. Does that make any sense? If, if MLB cared at all? Or I mean, it's, not, MLB but cared? You to say, it's not that they, it's not about the caring. 
It's about what can they can get away with. It's what they can get away with, and the reality of it is, is that this is it is about big business, and it's about wages and American wage growth across the spectrum of the country is flat. So why would we expect minor league baseball to be but, any different? But but it's not. But the reality is, is that that doesn't really work either, because the reality is, is that when you say it's flat. In minor league baseball, it's actually it's not flat. It's actually if you crazy in the cost minors. of living, it goes on a downward slope. Which is the same though for the American right, but family. It's, but, it, but the reality is more dramatic in the minor leagues. Much but more it's, dramatic. But it's the same. But it's the same principle though. But, and the, but, the people who are control the purse strings are the same in a but, lot of the. But I'm they, trying they to run in the same but, circles. But what I'm saying though is is that if you look at this, the way I can best personalize it is is okay. Imagine that you are. A college senior we just talked about. A college senior who loves the game. Five who years has success. ago, ten years ago, when you were in college, when you first got out of college, you could afford to buy ten boxes of Kraft mac and cheese. But now you only get five. But, but the same. But let's, let's say, but, that's really what it but, is. But let's just. But let's. That's what these guys but, are doing. Dude. Okay, but let me roll on this, which is is that when you take a senior like a jet, you know, who pitched well, Jesse Schulten, Jesse Schulten, who got no bonus essentially. Now, you are a college senior. You just graduated for your degree. And so your choice is, is that you can go for your dream, which admittedly, there's a huge payoff. If you can just make the majors for one year, all of this is worth it. Let's just be honest. It's $500,000 minimum. $500,000 is better than you're going to probably do in any career you it Correct. pays you back for like all the rest of it. Like Cody Decker talked about it last year when he got when mm-hmm. he got to the big for those two weeks. We've talked about that for so many players. When they just get called up for those September call ups at the end of those long careers, Dustin Mulliken, it doesn't make up for all of it because Dustin Mulliken was thirteen stinking years in the minor leagues. But That's a long apprenticeship. But it helps man. exactly. But but, you can, but but if you take that away though, and you're making the minors, imagine if you're listening to this and you and I told you, you have to figure out. Okay, so you're gonna live. And you're going to make, let's say it's $1,200 starting out. $1,200 a month. And by the way, do remember, this is most places. I know there are places that are host families. A lot of places. Not you, all. A yeah. lot of places you don't. You're living in an apartment. You're okay, paying rent. so you're living in an apartment. You're paying rent. You know, hopefully it's furnished because you're moving around. I mean, you're, you're, you're out of this. And then it's also, it is one, when they talk about this apprenticeship, this is something that prevents you. If you're going to do this at all well. It prevents you. You can't. This is not the 1950s when baseball players would sell insurance in the off season. Right. This is a year-round job. But again, they do make money in those off seasons. Right. But it's usually so, like so, training. Right. Training, but most of, but a lot of them work at also work at Home Depot or right. wherever. Absolutely. And remember and, the uh, the story about the uh, Lorenzo Barcelo who'd been in the big leagues and was working at a Home Depot in Tucson when he decided to give it one more shot. Win pitched in Mexico and wound up getting to the big leagues then that year with the Dodgers after pitching well in the Mexican league. Chris Martin was working at Lowe's when yeah. he got someone. Oh, he got a really good can stacking arm. <laughs> he's got big velo there. But the point the point is yes, the their, their wages haven't gone up and it has it's a, it's harder for them to stretch these dollars and it's very difficult to justify how little they're paid and it's very ju- difficult to ju- I mean like you could make logical arguments. And legal arguments for what Major League Baseball's done, but they're not going to win any fans with the way they're treating these minor league players. As you, as you just summed it up, I mean, again, and if the reality is, is that it's all about leverage and all that. This is why Cuban players who are free agents get a right. lot more money than your your draftees and all that. But you just summed it up. You said, okay, so there's you, you summed up the players. You said, hey, that's 
I think your number was that you figured up was that'd be like forty million. Forty to fifty million dollars. Right. Your rough your rough total was a good guess. Or That's forty million dollars. Yoan Mankata to Thank acquire Yoan Mankata, the Red Sox cut a check right there for sixty three million dollars. Now again, these are apples and oranges in some ways because that's the price to get. But it does some, it does remind us. Let's don't. Yoan Mankata is a really good prospect. Maybe how much Yoan Lopez or yeah. Roberto Baldequin. Major League Baseball want will pay for elite talent, and they don't want to pay for the guys who play with that elite talent. That is that's really what it boils down to. Um, that, that I don't even know how else to put it. Now speaking of large amounts of money changing the game. We just saw the end of the Cowboys series. We're gonna, we might wrap up with, with this point. Um, you guys aren't huge college baseball fans. You watch some college baseball. JJ, I know you watch a lot more the last two years than you ever did before. No, no, uh, no. I used to watch every game of because remember I was doing the web, so I'd watch, I watched every game. I'm sitting down, we'd wait for you guys to file. You didn't wait as long as you did, as we we are now. Yeah. I, I promise that. No, we were up at two in the morning because it'd be rain delays. One year it rained every game. I feel like. Um, 2010. That was a bad rain year. Yeah. Um, what's your guys' impression? I mean, Josh, what's your impression of the Cowboys series? You've been watching just the last couple of innings of the finals together as a B, hashtag BA family. I mean, the, the last couple of innings were pretty thrilling. What's your what's your Cowboys series impression? A takeaway as somebody who's not a huge college baseball fan. I mean, we all know that I backed the pack, but and I wanted Zona <laughs> to win. But you know what, Coastal Carolina, that's, that's a back great the story. Pack? I thought you backed the Ducks. You backed the pack when the Ducks are out. Which pack? Oh, the Pack Twelve. Okay. Yeah, not the wolf pack or anything like that. No, that's what was in my No, no, no. Mind. You're back to pack. Um, but either way, I mean, you take that, you remove that little little element there, and Coastal Carolina winning is awesome. You know, it was a long, arduous College World Series, not so much for me because I'm not there, but just to see the look on Gary Gilmore's face after the, the, the final out was made, that was priceless. And Coastal Carolina, the analogs that people keep coming up with in college sports... J.J. Uh, bristled at when Will Lingo came up with BYU in Division One football in 84, winning the Holiday Bowl. Well, my, my problem with that is, is that this was a game decided on the field. This was not someone winning a mythical national championship by playing a game that like against an unranked team yeah. on like 10 days before the games that were supposed to matter matter, and then at the end of it going, eh, yeah, you know, none of these teams really are that impressive. Let's give it to them. This is actually two teams on the field deciding something. They actually win a national championship. There we haven't had, we have just started having football national championships in the last few years. I don't, I don't you know before that it was just like ah, the, whoever. The only analog you could really think of was like if Butler had beaten Duke or UConn, but right. they didn't. And you know it's it's almost imperfect too because Arizona wasn't Duke. I mean Duke was correct. Duke, was, Duke was, Arizona Duke was more like uh, UConn. Butler? No, they were kind of like UConn because a power school with tradition. That had a bad team by its standards, but almost won a championship. I mean, like Kemba Walker carried that UConn team. That wasn't a great UConn team. And Arizona was picked, I think, ninth in the Pac-12 in preseason. That's correct. And, they... and almost won its fifth national championship. It was, it, the finals were compelling. Game two was really sloppy. Game three clearly big air by Cody Raymond, second base for Arizona. GK Young with a big two-run home run for Coastal, which almost coughed it up. Alice Cunningham did not have many bullets. Left in the arm, and uh, Arizona with a gallant comeback in the ninth got a run. Uh, you know, second and third, great play by Marks in left field for uh, Coastal Carolina yeah, that, on the that double. Show up in the box score. Yeah, I mean that was. But all all that said, uh, Cowboys series. I don't know if I'd say it's broken. It definitely seems flawed right now. 
well, guys. The, I mean, like, the biggest, the, the, it just doesn't generate buzz. No, like, I, don't, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say that. I, I think that is is that that I, we're baseball. We're deep in baseball. No, it no. generates that, but the ratings are down. There's just not. I, well, I, the, do you know casual fans who are interested? Casual baseball well, fans. Again, a couple of things. One, putting the game on today during the day was, as I said at the time, I mean, it was a very bad decision because right. But you you lost. That's one out of seventeen games. But, the but, whole series before that was iffy. They had a game with less than ten thousand people. That hadn't happened in years in Omaha. And, but but go ahead on the game. The, but the problem is, is that they broke. They built a broken stadium. They built the bats. Uh, they built the stadium and pointed it bats. the wrong way. Right with the, with the, with those bats and pointing it that way. But it's they, not they had those... no. It's the, oh no! They had no idea the bats were going to take away fifty percent of the offense when they built the stadium. If they had the old bats, you'd have a decent amount of offense. You would have the offense you had in the old park. But I mean, come but, on, but, like, but but, but the you'd thing, have but, a lot more you, offense. But when you say that though, fifty percent of but, the offense were out of the game, JJ. I know, but the thing about it is, is that the game until it goes to Omaha. Is a good game right now. It's a it's a it's a better it's a game. game. It's a better game than it was with the old bats in terms of like it, it, it's a balanced game. It's a more balanced game. I'm not. I wouldn't say it's a better game because the talent in college baseball seems to be down. I just was DMing with a scout just now talking about it um, about the just utter lack of athleticism in college baseball is really disconcerting for a lot of veteran scouts. And it's I mean this this was a bad year in college baseball last year. Was better from a draft talent standpoint, but oh, I think it's a general I like consensus. I feel like that's a little bit in that. No, no I definitely I, think I, it's worse now. I, mean, I think you and last six years or so, I, I definitely say the, cal- the talent is down from what it was say ten years ago in college baseball for sure. Even, well, I, I'm not saying it would be down a little. I'm sorry. Go ahead. So even you and and Brandon McCarthy and a couple other guys were having this conversation on Twitter the other night, just about the product in general, whether it's the talent, just the way the game is played and micromanaged. And it's always been micromanaged. I think it's noticed more by people now because all college sports are micromanaged. That was my point. But I, I do think the bat change really cha- exposed. This is the, what I wrote in my column. I, I shortened it. But it really exposed the poor offensive approach of amateur hitters in general who used to get away with it with the old bats. You can't get away with it anymore. Bat approaches equals uh, panicked coaches who bunt more than they would bunt, who try to force the action more than they would force the action, and it just produces a very different game. It is a more balanced game, JJ, there's no yeah, doubt, but it's not a better game than it but, was because the talent was better. You're the one who talked about the signings and how many fewer guys uh, go unsigned. Those but, That's a lot less talent in college baseball, a yeah, lot but, less star power. And but, the but best teams... Hold on, no, hold on, hold hold on, on. I'm finishing a point here. I'm allowed. Also, the best teams... Don't hoard the best players like they used to. And that's if you want to even go back further. The eleven point seven has definitely leveled that, and more teams try. Ten years ago, Coastal Carolina didn't have a great ballpark. They didn't have a great ballpark until two years ago. So their talent level is better. More and more teams try now. There's less of a concentration. So there are a lot. There's a lot more parity. There are a lot fewer really really good teams, and that when you have. A lot less separation between the teams, and then you take the bats into account where it's squeezed the teams together even more. There's extreme parity. That's good in a lot of ways. That does not necessarily mean the best foot gets put forward in the Caldwell series. I think the product of the Caldwell series, for a variety of reasons, is a lot worse than it used to be. See, but what I would say though is, is when you say like there's, there's yes, more guys are signed in top ten rounds. At the same time, what doesn't happen now is is we used to have 
where it was like college guy, high school guys going to college in the 22nd, the 24th, it was like, here's 250, here's 700, here's that. I do think that somewhat cancels out. No, they, it I, doesn't. I, I just, I've asked guys that I understand for you six ask years. Guys, but, most, but also scouts generally, almost always, and I, again, I respect what's, but it's easy to always think of it in the past looking better than it does I'm not now. just asking. I've asked the coaches. The coaches all think they get less talent now because their bonuses are so much higher. Uh, if you want, if you have any desire to play pro ball and you indicate that before you get drafted, you're going to get drafted and you're going to get signed. And it's a lot different if, especially with the signing deadline, if they could have gotten you on campus for the most part, they got you to school. They, you get, they got you in. They, they got that you were fished in if you got to campus, but that doesn't happen now. If you have any indication you're going to get that pre-draft deal and that you're going to get that bonus, you know what you're going to get, and you sign. The college coaches and the scouts agree on that one. Less talent gets through now than got through the draft before this system. That, that, that that's may, a consensus I'm opinion that, I'm not saying that, in that may the not be true. I am saying, though, that the reality is, is as you said, more parity, I think, actually adds to it. Like It adds to the first two weekends, absolutely. It makes regionals wackier. It makes super regionals better. I'm not arguing the college baseball product. I'm arguing the college World Series but product. I, but I'm, the, but I'm I, think, arguing... I think both are down, but the college World Series product is much more down because the ballpark and the bats combined make for so much less offense. When you had uh, nine home runs hit this year, 15 last year, three each of the two years before that. So the flat seam ball has helped, but baseball is meant to be played with home runs. We have 80-some years of empirical evidence of this, that baseball with home runs is better than baseball without See, home runs. We have baseball with home runs until we get to Omaha. We have some, but again, 50% of the home runs went out of the game. 50% of the offense went out of the game. I do agree that it's more in balance. I don't agree. What, so what is the identity of college baseball right now? To the average fan, a Major League Baseball fan who checks in on college baseball, what do they think of first? Bunts. Yes, absolutely. And that is not what they balls. thought of six, seven years ago. They thought of offense. They thought of... So I, my argument has been consistently, yes, the game was very offensive. It was less offensive in 2010 than it was in 1998. By, now, it had crept up because of the bat rolling. But it was still less than it was in 1998. The fact that it was getting closer to 98 levels was bad. Right about 2005, 6, 7, 8, right in that meat. I wasn't the beat writer. I'm not being nostalgic. I'm just saying in that, in that mid-2000s, they had the bats right. And it was an offensive sport, but it was down from what its peak had been. And I thought college baseball worked better with an offensive identity. And the players, as I always say, are amateurs, and they need the help. The whole industry of baseball, there's more help for defense, pitching's better, there's more information for, for the players, but there's not as much work put in. This is the consensus of the coaches I've talked to. Offensive approaches among amateurs stink. I've heard this for so long. Even on the international side, like the Japanese have better hitting approaches than us, the Koreans have better hitting approaches than us. This is what Eric Campbell and USA coaches have said for years. So it's writ large in Omaha where if you don't have – a consistent approach, and you don't play consistent defense, it killed Arizona today. One bad play by Cody Raymer. He made two errors in the play, cost them two runs, and all four runs were unearned. I mean, you cannot hit your way out of those mistakes anymore. And it's it just, I don't think it's the best product. I don't think there's any way that you could say that college baseball puts its best foot forward 
in the current Caldwell series. In TD Ameritrade Park, these bats, all those factors. For me, they're, the, the college baseball product overall is a little bit less, but in the Caldwell series, it's significantly worse. It's a, it's a lesser event than it used to be, and that pains me. But I, I'm, I've talked to a lot of people in college and professional baseball about that who agree with me. That doesn't mean I'm right. It just makes me feel very confident in the, viewing the game the way that I view it. And you're, you're, you're talking about uh, American hitting approaches being kind of one-dimensional at this point. It reminds me of, I think it was two years ago when I went to Instruct. When I went to Instruct, and they brought, I think it was the Indians Instructs team against one of the Japanese, or the, the, the Taiwanese teams. NC Dinos? Yes, the North that's Korea. Korea. The Korean team, I'm sorry. And they got one hit because they had never seen and never had to deal with anything other than amateur level pitching. It was just it was pitching backwards the whole game, and none of these kids knew how to adapt. And so that's what it was a, almost a perfect game. And, and, and lack of adjustments. I mean, you know, Andrew Beckwith is the most outstanding player, and that's fantastic. I'm happy for Cap at Cap and Dash. Great uh, Twitter handle. Great college pitcher. I mean, he's not the first pitcher who's dominated in Omaha, throwing 87 miles, topping out at 87. But it is amazing that three teams that are full of good players could not adjust to Andrew Beckwith. I just couldn't adjust. And the frustration in Florida's coach, Brad Weitzel's voice, talking about Florida's inability to adjust to Andrew Beckwith, was we told them what to do. And one of the phrases he says, we tell them, get that foot at the front of the batter's box, beat the sink. And the guy goes in there in the batter's box, and like he, every, like he does for 230 other bats, the first thing he does is plant his back foot at the back of the box. And we're screaming at him from the dugout, we just told you, get the front. But routine takes over, and, I, you know, and that's for young players. So I, I th- you, you, know, you used to hear about the aluminum bat swing that scouts used to talk about. That wasn't a myth. That was true. And you still now it's the approach that you hear people talk about scouts when guys transition to pro ball, not the uh, and that's and not necessarily the swing. You still you hear still about the swing, but it's not as pronounced as it used to be. So um, I, that that that's my takeaway from the college series. The other part of the takeaway is bitching about that takes away detracts from what Coastal accomplished. Really, what I wanted to ask you guys about is. Like where you know for you where where coastal ranks on uh, up baseball upsets? I mean, is there even a major league analog? I mean, is this like the because it's not like the Twins going worse to first? I mean, is it like the Mets in 1969? I mean, I'm trying to think of what the analog See, is because they've been good for a long time, but their first college series and they win it that has not happened since Minnesota 1956. Right, it's the it's going in their first one and winning it, and the reality that coastal, coastal and that they're a big South program, and right. a was, team that in May. When they went out of conference in a weekend series at Georgia Tech, not even a, a middle-of-the-road ACC program, they got swept at Georgia Tech. This isn't only their their first baseball championship. This is their first championship in any sport. Right, but baseball clearly is the, the Baseball is the their, sport their, right. their, their carrying card. But I do at the same time think this is not like the 16... This is not even like the 16 Mets, though, in that this is a team that's been consistently good that right. now has broken through into greatness. Because if you win a national title... You're a great team. That's I mean, it, it, you play no to win question. the game. Hey, they were number fifteen coming into the um, and into the postseason. They were in ranked rankings. in our preseason top twenty-five. Twenty-third preseason. They've been to super regionals in the past. This is not. This it is was not, not a team new that, that they're good. This That's is not, not a team new. that cracked into the top twenty-five this year for the first time in Baseball America poll history. 
This right. is someone who and it's we not talk like, about Coastal on a regular basis. They're not even like Fresno. Like they're analogous to Fresno in that Fresno was number 18 in our preseason rankings in 2008. But Fresno had been to the Conference Series three times before. They had plenty of big leaguers, established big leaguers, guys who've been stars, guys who you think of with Fresno State, where Fresno State had gotten to a certain level in college baseball. Honestly, Fresno State as a program prior to 2008 is pretty analogous to Long Beach State. Produced a lot of big leaguers, a lot of tradition, three or four trips to Omaha. Very analogous. Coastal Carolina wasn't at even that level. They were a notch below, but not have no Omaha on the uh, on their background. Uh, they're a notch below. Will Ingo and I kind of think they're really basically an East Coast Cal State Fullerton kind of program, post World War II program at the beach, uh, not a lofty academic school. Uh, and not in a big conference, like in the shadow. You know, they're in the Big West, shadow of the Pac-12. Coastal's in the shadow of the ACC and SEC. Um, but Coastal you know, doesn't have four championships like uh, uh, Fullerton, but I guess give them time. They've got one. They're on their way, which it, it's really, a, from that standpoint, it's, a, it's an incredible accomplishment. And the fact that Gary, Gary Gilmore is the guy who started it and the guy who finishes it, that he starts awesome. the program uh, at the Division One level, he starts building it up. Because um, they were NIA uh, when Mickey Brantley played there back in the day, um, to, but he's the one who starts the Division One and, and wins a championship like that for 21 years is a, it's incredible. And I just remember the first day of the series out there, uh, the media commenting on how unpolished he was media-wise. He was there long enough to get some polish. He was there for <laughs> two plus weeks. That was a long stint. He's got the cliches down now. I think he does. And hey, they watch Bull Durham every uh, every bus trip, so. Um, you didn't read that part? No, yeah, every so, bad So that's the thing, that was a surprising part. I thought he would know the you know win one for the, you know, just just here to, to do my best and help the team and and that kind of thing. Some days you win, some days you lose. Some days when you're getting ready to play for the national championship, it rains or it just has lightning every thirty minutes in the, in the eight mile radius. So uh, kudos to our guys, uh, Ted Cahill and Michael Anna, for lasting the entire couple of weeks. Thanks, you guys. I've got another part of the podcast here coming up with Murray Cook of MLB previewing the game this weekend at Fort Bragg at Fort Bragg Stadium as the Marlins take on the Braves. First Major League Baseball game ever in a military installation and the first one also ever in the state of North Carolina. So stay tuned for that. Thanks, uh, JJ and Josh. And here comes Murray Cook. It's an impressive tour, Murray, for sure. It's a fantastic tour. I guess I should actually do an introduction. Murray Cook, what is your official title with MLB, Murray? With Major League Baseball, I'm their, uh, uh, their official field consultant. Official field consultant. So that's gone back. Your first experience, as you wrote on your blog, was 1989. That um, you've been involved in some way, shape, or f- uh, fashion. But really, for me, the first time I became aware of your involvement was in 2000 in Sydney, Australia. Right, right. So as I've really followed your career, it's really been your involvement in basically being kind of the troubleshooter or the person who goes in mm-hmm. and makes sure that a playing field for any event, whether it's uh, minor league baseball, international baseball, major league game in this case here mm-hmm. at Fort Bragg, mm-hmm. that the field is up to the standards that major league baseball wants it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You've had some really huge challenges, but I imagine that over that 16-year span, going back to Sydney, just how much has the technology changed in your field? I mean, everyone in our lives have all been touched by technology, sure. And, sure. Uh, the digital revolution, these kind of things, information revolution. How is just groundskeeping and that industry that you're in and field maintenance and preparation been has it been revolutionized or has it just been a slow evolution with technology on your side? You know, it, it's it's been a uh, it's been an evolution, especially probably from like 
probably late 80s, early 90s when we started seeing a lot of the uh, the information come out of the golf course industry. Okay. Started, started, as far as field construction and materials, see, there, never, there wasn't even a, a degree to be uh, to be a head groundskeeper of baseball field right. back in the 80s and 90s, right? You you get a you could go to school and get learn about soils, be a soil scientist, or you can go be a greenskeeper. Right. But there was nothing for baseball field management or sports field management. And in the in the past 15 years, now now there has been. Mm. So the biggest thing is education. Uh, the development of the Sport Turf Management Association, the STMA, who's, mm-hmm. who is who now most head groundskeepers are sport turf managers. Right. You can become a certified sports field manager now. You can become certified to do this type of work. So since the days of Caddyshack, where we all think of the word groundskeeper, yeah. it's come around a little bit since education since Bill Murray. has has led us. So okay. with the education piece, well, then there's the I've got to have a ballpark that I can play on 300 days out of the year, or maybe right. 365, depending right. if you're in Florida. Right. So the technology had had to meet the demand, and the fields did. So we've had we've seen advances in equipment from all the different vendors of Toros and Jacobsons and John Deere's just come building specific baseball field maintenance equipment, hmm. specifically only to, to the sport that weren't even around ten years ago, fifteen years ago for sure. Uh, and and along with that, it's it's helped us, and and not only the the equipment. But the actual types of turf grass, right? You know, back in those days, we couldn't even grow Bermuda grass north of Richmond, Virginia, wow. and now you can grow Bermuda grass all the way up into Purdue. Wow! University. Wow! It's just the the scientists have, have really created some wonderful products for us to move soil in and out and turf in and out. So your last two big projects were here in Fort Bragg, where you basically took a field of weeds <laughs> and have turned it into a Minor league, it's basically a ballpark that's like a triple-A size ballpark, essentially, um, that's going to house a one-time Major League Baseball game, a regular season game. And then your previous uh, one, well, your big project was Cuba, right? It was in Havana at, Stadio, at one of the most famous ballparks in the world, Stadio yeah. Latin Americano. Yeah. Which was a bigger challenge? i got to imagine it was Cuba. You know, Cuba was big just because of the... Uh Obviously, because of the president and so on, all the all the other political components. But you know, working in Cuba, I mean, it became, you know, that whole trip was was diplomatic, not only from the other part, but down to the field part. How right. do we how do we work together to make this field better for both teams? And and it was it, you know, we learned a lot about the the, the people there. We learned all, so much because we were I was with them every day for a month and. And uh, and what some of their hardships and some of the things they go through, and they, they can't find classes, and they can't find you know things that they really needed. It was it sounded like they couldn't find shovels. Like uh, just we reading couldn't your blog. find shovels. We couldn't find it. So we had to ship a bunch of stuff over, and it was like Christmas. I mean, I had guys crying, and they saw me pull out this edger and edge the field with it because the guy had been edging with the machete his entire life. Oh my gosh! I mean, so you go from. From from just the simpleness of just you know you take things so much for granted at these ballparks we have today, and and how we had and what we had there to use was just so limited, but you know those experiences make us stronger as Americans, make us stronger as a people, and you know, and, make, and it, I, make us all better for everybody. Because really, I mean, we you hear the stories and we saw it during that uh, event of the 1950s automobiles, but it was, they were basically groundskeeping like the 1950s, I, I yep. assume, as well. Exactly. They Everything, we, we went to see a sod farm there north of the city, and they, they came out with these pieces of sod that were probably, you know, I said, are you going to cut them big? Yeah, yeah. They, they brought the sod to the field, and they were in six-inch by six-inch pieces. 
So that's what we started with. I saw the picture on your blog, like just hand by hand. Hand by hand, putting pieces in. We had three or four weeks to grow it in, and, and we got it smooth and safe. And that was the goal, uh, to get it smooth and safe, obviously, for the playability. But it, it, this, you know, again, living there, being part of that, that, uh, that, that project. I was there in, when they, the Orioles were there in 1999. Yeah. Uh, and similar, it was neat. It was neat. And there, in, again, in 05, right? Was it 07? Was it 07 for the Olympic qualifier? Yeah. Where both Cuba and USA made it, and they still played the final game. Probably the most exciting game I've ever seen in my life. Wasn't that like Kevin Slowey, I think, was the pitcher for Team <laughs> USA? <laughs> I seem to recall. David that. Johnson was the manager. That's right. That's right. Yeah, you had you had Rick uh, Rick Epstein. Was it Rick Epstein or which one? I think Rick Epstein was on Epstein. that. Epstein yeah. was uh, was one of the guys. Raleigh was on there, just the coaching staff. Just and they, of course, both teams were they already made it. But that final game was just one of those things to see it in that ballpark, fifty thousand people, jam packed, amazing. Then you go, what? Ten years later, eight years, nine years later, and you, we were, we're back there with another major league game. And the stadium hadn't changed very much, I'm going to guess, unfortunately. Zero. Zero. It's and a shame because that, I mean, it's a 55,000 seat stadium. I mean, it was the Yankee mm, Stadium of Latin America. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. the largest stadium in all, in all of Latin America, baseball stadium. I mean, it's because it's a, it's supposed to be a magnificent structure, but then you look at the pictures, and you see the roof yeah. falling apart. I right. mean, you know, this this last event, we were able to re upgrade the field, uh, leaving a lot of equipment. Great. Through through uh, the tools and equipment, materials, supplies, and so on, they got half the roof repaired. They had new locker rooms. You got better dugouts. So we left an impact there that that obviously will still be there. You know, hopefully, you know, right. years years to come. And you know, that's they've asked me to come back and do clinics and you know, but there are other fields. Cause they got some other. The ballpark oh. in Santiago is really nice. And I understand that the and that's one of the things that I hear the commissioners say. I've heard the guys from Baseball Canada say that. You know, as these political changes are happening in Cuba, you just hope that um, we can maintain that baseball infrastructure because mm -hmm. it's such a baseball country. Right. You you, you want to try to do what we can to maintain that infrastructure, and you were part of that, which I just think is yeah. commendable and also pretty neat that well, you were able to be part of that. Well, it's yeah. always it's always good to do do to get out and reach out to people, and I've been I've been blessed with that with this well, my role. And this will be again a, a, a totally different situation, <laughs> yeah. and it sounds like this is possibly a prototype because i guess the biggest challenge of this right was the condensed time frame and the fact that you were doing something that had never been done build a major league stadium from scratch in four months go yeah hello <laughs> here we go here's a shovel that's it you, you can take the one from cuba and bring it here and start <laughs> that's right um uh, was okay. that the, was that the biggest part of the challenge just pretty, the, the newness much. of it yeah the newness and getting and getting the uh you know, getting the approvals. You know, obviously with with uh, you know and the, and the guys here, the the base people we've been working with, you know, have been just phenomenal. They uh, they they really had to a lot of red tape to actually uh, you know to accept the donation right. to to actually be able to start the project. So, you know, it got took us a while to get that check to say, okay, we have a green light, we can accept your gift. Right. So, gift from from Major League Baseball and the Players Union, which is the other really amazing thing of this. This is. And something combination. A, a, an unbelievable, again, a, a unprecedented gesture, really, by Major League Baseball, by any and the Player Association. Sports, exactly uh, right. F I can't, I can't think of anything that's similar yeah, I, between I, the union and management getting together and doing a gift for the U.S. military like this. Right, right. And we talked about it. We said, okay, where's places around? And of course, this place came up. I mean, you know, two hundred thousand people, two thousand people on the base. You know, all the numbers are there for sure. having, having, uh, and the reason was there, and the date was there, and the July third, July fourth weekend. It's it's just it just it just all all matches up nice, 
this uh, the, the ballpark in itself is is uh, uh, starting there and, and finally started in March to, to, to clear the site because when we came and looked at it, they showed us two or three different sites around the area. Right. And we looked at one. We looked at there was one over near Walmack, a baseball field that's just none of space. Okay. This site was is uh, is on their master plan. The actual old Willow, Willow Creek golf course. Okay. Okay. Was to which has been abandoned for. About six years. Sure. Okay. It was just overgrown. So this is on the Air Force Base. That is now the Army Airfield. Correct. So that's probably why it got abandoned. I would imagine. Correct. If you walk down this path over here, where the fans will be coming in okay. after this is over, and walk down, you'll see the, the there's some old vintage planes down here. Well, people will walk by those and see those when they come in. Right oh, now. Oh, our JJ Cooper at Baseball America is a huge buff of those things, and he will be overjoyed to see this he's gonna he's gonna freak out when they when you walk <laughs> up from that area from the fan side there and the fans enter from both corners so they don't come from back here they come from both corners of the field they come in so when they come up you'll see openings in the left field and right field areas yeah where, where populace did an outstanding job doing these little tweaking designs and again populace is a is a populace and yeah and, and, and bam uh, uh b-a-m uh are the are the engineers of the seating bowl and the structure of how it all came together in the tents and they just did just a fabulous job developing all the different components again taking this and taking that you know joe g is like okay let's move this over here let's move this over here. it's like an erector set but you know we're kind of piecing things together and you know phil bradley got involved with a little bit of the player yep. association how your locker rooms go here no let's move the let's move the bathrooms on this side let's put those over here just a lot of that you know, sharing information. It was a great dialogue between the whole team. And those are all people who've been just a part of this for all the time that you've been working. I, mean, I think Absolutely. Phil Bradley was in, I, I'm pretty sure I saw him in Sydney. If it was, I know Tony Bernazar was there with the union at that time. Yes, he I was. I think Phil was there too. If it yes, wasn't he there, was. it was soon after. He was with us in Sydney. And Joe G was has been around that oh for gosh. all this time. When he, he wasn't a general just, manager, straight into Just it. a wealth of information about how this is set up. And I mean, I was with, I was with Phil in Cuba when we got a call, we had a conference call from Cuba to here about, about the locker rooms and how to set them up. So we, I was on my phone, they were on the computer here, Papas was in Kansas City, and we were working through the locker rooms here trying to figure them out as, <laughs> from Cuba. <laughs> the logistics of these things is uh, what we don't think about, but that's what you want, right? You want people to show up and just imagine this just happened. Right. You know, that it looks effortless uh, when it's not. I mean, that's it really does. the goal, though, right? It is. I mean, it's... It, the, it's um, it's such a great thing. We call it the field of thanks. Yeah, that's right. Because that's really what it is. Yeah, it's like it the field is. Of dreams. And, and, and you look down the line, you see these areas, these large areas on the, yeah. the black area. That's all for ADA. Oh, wow. This whole section down here, the lower two sections here, the pot seats on the whole building, those are ADA seats. And so crucial for military. Yes. Uh, I haven't even thought about that. Yeah, huge. The best seats in the house. Here, here and here. That almost makes me weep because it's just amazing. Because <laughs> you go around when you're in this community... You see the toll of war. Yeah. You do you see do. it. You do. And you see the amputees and... It's really... Yeah, you see them. And I, you know what? I, I just... It, I, I'm with you. So we made a... You can tell we, we made some larger... Uh, our, our backstop net. It's just not here. It goes down. Right. Angles down above the dugout to protect people there. Because, you know, people here haven't been to a baseball right. game. You right. Know, you got, so you got more protection. And then down the ADA section, you'll see a, the poles a little higher above the fence. I do. That's another six foot... Of, there'll be a net in Extra front of that. Net. So sit behind there, if a ball gets in line, you know, it's not going to hurt. So we, those are things, again. Little think, details. Little details that, you know, we wanted to make sure that we protect the fans, protect the people. And, and, and If you just dream that, that doesn't happen. That takes well, attention to detail of those things that someone, you're talking about. Someone looking at them and saying, what do you think about this? Well, who's going to sit there? Well, what's, 
And Joe's like, oh, we got to pad that. Oh, we got to fill that. We got to pad that pole. No, we got to fix this pole. We got to, you know. So. And then you have the artificial berm, which is a new one for me. It sounds like a new one for you. Yeah. Okay. Oh my gosh, that's like a C-130. <laughs> a, a, little fly, a little flyby, which is, it's an active, it's a very active <laughs> Army airfield. And it is literally half a mile that way, the base is. So they're going to be flyover. And obviously we had, as we walked in today, uh, yeah. the, the two uh, Army uh, pilots who basically fought for this assignment to do the flyover, which is awesome. Yeah, yeah. we're going to have them come up out of center field and come over the center. It's going to be pretty cool. But the, the, So we have artificial berms. So, uh, you know, this is a podcast I've kind of recorded, but how do you kind of even describe, like, basically it's like a, like a putt-putt golf course course on risers almost. And, you know, putt-putt was invented in Fayetteville. Is that right? It was. It was. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a font of Fayetteville trivia. So it's apropos that you have the fake greens out there. Oh, what you need is a windmill to oh, shoot through. Funny. I didn't know that. That's hilarious. <laughs> but, I mean, that's the, that, that sounds like that was a unique feature for this as well. There's going to be a, a video board in left field mm-hmm. um, and, and major league dugouts. And it sounds like you've also had just great feedback from the Braves and the Marlins players and, and officials. Tremendous. That they're eagerly anticipating this, this oh, opportunity. Oh, cannot, cannot wait to get here. The players, it's, it's, it's kind of like, hey, it's on its way. It's, we're on, it's on our way to our next uh, state stadium. It's a stop over here. They are, you know, yeah, all I've heard is positives. Great. And from the people coming into the base, you know, I've been here now for a couple of weeks living in, in a hotel, and a lot of people, obviously, you know that, just coming up, you know, they hear the, you know, where you know, they start talking. Everyone's very talkative. Right. It's a very friendly town. Yeah, and it is. And the, <laughs> and the service members are like, they, how are you, sir? I'm right. Good, sir. Right. So, what are you doing here today? I'm like, well, I'm with, with baseball. <gasps> oh, are you really? Give me tickets. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now, you probably didn't get very much of that in Sydney. No, I no. A little no. different vibe on the international side. Yeah, that was another big event. We talk, talk about big events. That uh, opening day in Sydney, put, turning the cricket field into a... Uh, Cricket field into a baseball stadium, and the first game was, and I was, I covered that. That was Daisuke Matsuzaka for Japan against uh, Ben Sheets for the United States. First game, anyway, with the United States involved, right? Which right. was a great, uh, a great tournament. I mean, it really, and, and so I guess I, that's a good transition into the international side. I mean, so you've been uh, Sydney, you've been Beijing, I assume Panama. As you were mentioning Panama, crazy story from Panama. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's a crazy story, a tragic story, but. Tragic. I've always told the story of my own personal Greek tragedy if I didn't get a free trip to to Athens for the 2004 Olympics because the U.S. lost in the qualifier to Mexico oh. to Rigo Beltran and uh, uh, oh. Sanchez, the first baseman at that home run, and uh, J- Frank Robinson having Joe Maurer sacrifice bunt. I'm not bitter about that at all. <laughs> but, I mean, uh, but what are some of the – I mean, are the biggest challenges internationally just – cutting through some of those again that red tape of trying to work with all these different locales or after a while has do you walk in and say i'm murray kirk major league baseball and now they know you oh is you know there a little credibility now absolutely especially throughout latin america good mexico look at mexico in the past since uh 2012 they've built five or six new stadiums 30 million dollar stadiums wow I was not aware of that. Huge. They're in, um, in uh, Hermosillo, Culiacan, Obregón, Mazatlán, uh, Guadalajara. Oh, fantastic. I did not know that. All new stadiums. So kind new, of a, a revolution large. almost. It's like minor league baseball hit, hit Mexico uh, 20 four, years four, after, five, no, yeah. Four or five years ago. Okay. And here they, everyone's built new stadiums. New stadium in Managua. New stadium in Barranquilla, Colombia. New stadium, I mean, 
And Monago's building a 15,000-seat stadium. I did not know that. They are, they, throughout South America, Latin America, the game, they are, they're just doing so, so much. And then, you know, over Asia, the same thing. I'm talking to guys over there in Taiwan and, and uh, in Japan doing a lot of things. Taiwan's building big complexes of training centers. So, so in your experience, really, it has been, I mean, this is a post-Olympic baseball. I know there's a chance they could get back in for 2020. I think it, they probably expected to be back, at least in Japan. Yeah, yeah. But after baseball left the Olympics, it sounds like through the classic and these qualifiers, the, the game is still growing internationally and yeah, maybe, even fi maybe even faster? By, I would say so. I, I would say just, just the growth of the game throughout baseball-related countries, in, even at DR. And, I, you know, you take – so the Dominican Republic, you know, the, the winter leagues, we do all the evaluations in all the winter league ballparks. Okay. So we should meet your standards, winter yep. league standards. Because a lot of players go to play. And we, wherever MLB plays – uh, wherever the International Baseball Federation plays, the World okay. Baseball Software Congress yes. plays, uh, they, uh, in some of their main tournaments, like for example the European Championship right. uh, uh, coming up in September in Aunt Holland, we go and we evaluate those ballparks to ensure that they meet the minimum requirements. Right. They're safe. That's, right. that's, that, that's Player safety safe. is your number that's one it. factor. So so we go check the lug out the field, the dug and whatever, and make recommendations. Here's got to fix this, and okay, the players can go play. So that's kind of the, the, the part that we really get, get, get tied into as far as helping, helping grow the game. And with that comes education. Right. So you look at the Dominican Republic 10 years ago, and now you look at all their winter league clubs. The ballparks are looking so much better. The fields are. They look forward to us coming back to them more clinics. Then off all those academies they built in the DR. Well, you just think just, about it. If you're just talking about the United States, really just in the last 10 years, Getting to a point where there are educational courses specifically for field turf management. Correct. And my wife works at NC State University. Correct. They have that program Correct. there. Correct. So if that's just in the last decade to 15 years in the U.S., it's probably not in the Netherlands Even or in Europe or in Latin America. Exactly. Exactly. Now you have great soccer pitches. Right. Right. In they, Europe. They're practiced at that. you got great rugby pitches and cricket pitches in Sydney and Australia. Right? So you've got that practice. Which was great because in Sydney, when we did the field there, we did a, that transition in 18 days, 21, 21 wow. days, 21 days. We took turned the cricket pitch into the baseball field. I remember in, in Sydney hit. there were not very many bad hops, no. and you also had that crazy semifinal game with the biggest rainstorm ever. Remember the home plate umpire? Oh my gosh. The first base umpire comes down the line like, hey, come on, we got to call this. And the home plate umpire is like, hey, call yeah. it and shoving him back. No. Yeah, no, no. Go no. back and the lightning is going berserk. Oh, that was Korea. <laughs> that was unbelievable. That was, yeah, it was U.S. Korea, right? U.S. Korea. And as soon as they came US back, Korea. interference at the yeah. plate or whatever, yeah. Brent Abernathy, I think. 13, uh, 13th inning or something, 11th inning, finally, bam. Home run. Yeah, Doug Mankiewicz. He pimped the heck we out of it, too. Good for we went. Good for iChart. <laughs> yeah, that was a long game. Well, we didn't have a choice. We had to win that one. They did have to win that one. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and that was right after Gooky Dawkins got picked off at first base. <laughs> yeah. So he gets picked off after uh, iChart was supposed to sack butt. And then I think it was the next or second in that next pitch was... Uh, was a home run. Roy, Roy Oswald, a big hero of that. Then right. you were there for 2004 Athens. Yeah. And not a lot of Greek experience with with baseball, I would imagine. The, the field there was well, from we, scratch like we this, wasn't just it? Sold exactly. To both all both the all, we built the three baseball fields and the and the and the, and the three softball fields too okay. for them. And okay. uh, what a beautiful facility. And, you know, I was just there like literally last year whenever for holidays because I lived there. For in Greece for like six months. And oh my, wow! And my uh, yeah, your Greek was not bad. And, and my family, yeah, yeah. 
Kalini Kasu in Indaxi. Your drink's all right. <laughs> My drink's all right. <laughs> uh, so you were there for a while. Uh, so you were familiar with the area, but that but building the baseball stadium was all new. It was Greek to them. Yeah, it was Greek to them, literally. They uh, they had no clue about building baseball fields, but they we uh, we, we enjoyed doing that. It was it was a uh, it was it was fun during the summer. It was also the Euro Cup uh, year that year. Oh, okay. Uh, in, in a, which, okay. Is, which is a big event. And I help recruit players for the Greek national team now, so I think they're in Euro Cup in 2016. Well, they need your help. I don't know if you saw uh, Tom Mazeroski's. Uh, I haven't Tom, seen his Tom is, Tom, is, Tom is looking hard for funding. Okay. And so he is. Uh, he's created a, a, a page to get funding to help pay for the trip. I, I, to go over. If I, I, unless I hit the wrong button, I was supposed to put a hundred dollars in there. So, right. but I, I'm always helping recruit players for them. I saw. Uh, Last year's spring training, there was a kid named Mitch Kellogg was pitching for the Tigers on this backfield. Right. I'm looking them up on the Baseball America site, and I say, oh, wait a minute. Born Athens, Greece. When he comes out of the game, I say, hey, can I talk to you? Are you free to talk? Really? I recruited him right there for the team. So One of the things we did. Uh, they, need, they need players, but they need funding. In, in MLB, and it never came out in the news, but it was really special because at the 04 Olympics, at the Olympics were over, we bought equipment, cages, screens, batting tops. Yeah, filled made mowers, carts, tarps, all kinds of stuff for this stuff. They put it in storage. Baseballs. Hundreds of dozens of baseballs. They put it on storage. And I was like, okay, here went by, here went by. And third of them was down. So what's the stuff? I talked to Tom. Got, anyway, you know, like it just they, they finally got a storage, they finally released it to the local federation. Oh, okay. They, they had that transition sure. between yep. ownership. That, that took place about two or three years later. Okay. So for the 20, 2013, 20, it was in the 2012 Olympic qualifier, okay. the uh, Greek team needed funding to go up to play in, uh, in, in the tournament. I think it was in Holland that year, too. Yeah, there was, yeah, because that, that 20, uh, probably, do you mean like the 2011 World 2011 Cup? 2011 World Cup. That was in Panama, because they qualified for that. So 2010 exactly. qualifier was in the Netherlands. So they needed, they needed to get funding. I said, look, we need equipment for the uh, German, the Regensburg right. there, and we need equipment in Italy. Let me come in. We'll evaluate the equipment you have in Athens. MLB will buy it. We'll sell it to these guys. Funding goes back. You guys have money. Wow. So we actually, the, the equipment we use in 04, half of it we sold. We got enough money to send those guys. It was <laughs> To MLB 2010. Wow. Together. How about that? MLB put all that together. It was one of those things that kind of under the rug, but it was such a great thing for the Greek Federation to be able to play the tournament. And it worked because it helped everybody else. Other equipment did, and uh, I mean there were still tarps on the on a big uh, pallet. Wow! Never even opened. This is what the commissioner no says. This is what the commissioner says. All their studies say: the longer you play, the longer you're going to be a fan. Yeah. Well, even just for those guys, they play, and they're going to remember that. Yeah. And hopefully, their family, their friends, remembers you gotta, that. And you got to be able to play. That's the, the one of the things I respect the most about Commissioner Manfred is that he really does seem to um, have his eye on this. On the grassroots of the game, I think Commissioner Steele was very forward-thinking when it came to the international side. Though I don't think he, I don't think he gets his, his due on the international side of just how international the game has become, and not just Latin American, but the whole rest of the world. I guess Europe's kind of this next step, I mean, or that baseball's kind of dipping its toe in. Is that in the plans and the works, or it's still a distant idea of a major league, a game like this, where you would plop into the Netherlands and play? Or, London, those kind you know, of things. Is you know, that you possible? Never, yeah, is, is it possible? Sure. Is it is it on the MLB playbook? 
again, that's 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 one of those playbooks that they that's that's closed by a key and door up there, right. especially this time of year during the collective Sydney, bargaining unit. You know, Sydney 2014 or 15 opening day. 14, that- 14 opening day. It was it was uh, it was tough to pull that one off uh, because of that 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 transition. So, in, and o- timing, in, in, yeah. in 2000 we played in Homebush, right, right, stadium. And then in 2014, we played Sydney at Sydney Cricket Grounds, yeah, right? Cricket Grounds. So those are two two separate events, like two different places. And um, the work that was done there was it was a hard one too. That <laughs> <laughs> was pretty hard too. They're probably a little bit more protective about that one. That's like yeah. their Yankee Stadium for oh, cricket. Oh, tell me about it. But the guy <laughs> there, Tommy uh, Tommy Parker, the head guy there, the Greensman, super guy. I'll never forget he and I sitting at the in in the Rain War Room, we called it, is was right behind home plate, and Bud Selig, commissioner, comes in and he sits down beside us because we're looking at the computer. You know, mm-hmm. We're all looking like the computer because we're talking about the rain. It was getting real delicious. And the commissioner can work blue from time to time. And he's like, you know, I consider myself a novice. <laughs> I've heard of this. I've heard about this. The 2008 uh, 2008 World myself. Series. So I heard about watch, that. So tell me, when's it going to when's it going to update? It's about two more minutes. Well, you know, in Milwaukee, he gives him a story about you know something else and. It was just great, and and just like the day before, Tom says, "I hope I get the, I hope I get a chance to meet the the commissioner. I hope I get just uh-huh. to meet him." I said, "You might." Yeah. <laughs> so he didn't just meet him. He got to just like chit chat with him. <laughs> They're holding the elbows and fantastic. It was great. You know, everyone's around, but so they uh, so we're like looking at them and the, and the updates, and there's nothing behind the. There's it was like it was like breaking up. He looked over. Murray, what do you think? I says, "I think we're over. I think it's over." Yeah. What do you think, Tom? Sure, sure. Yeah, the commissioner said, you know, Tom says, Commissioner, I don't think we should be able to play at all. Let's play. <laughs> and away we go. That's and he, fantastic. And the commissioner says, that's it. How long will it take Kershaw to get ready? <laughs> that's fantastic. Yeah, not an unimportant part of it is that the best pitcher in the game just is. Just like that. You know, it was there. just a great, there's a great exchange of information from some people there, and, and away we go. But ultimately, that's really what you're charged with, is making sure that the Kershaws, the Freddie Freemans, the Jose Fernandez's, the Giancarlo Stanton's yeah. can play and put on their show. And like we, we were talking off air, yeah. it really ultimately is about the players and making it look like it's just a regular major league game anywhere, right? Right. right. It's, 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 uh, it's, it, it always comes back to safety. You know, yeah. consistency and playability and these guys are in the middle of the season now. You know, we've played many, many during season games. We're opened up Tokyo Dome. Yeah. I don't know how many times we played? We played down in Puerto Rico, what, 30, right? Fifty times I right. think over the past ten years. All yeah. Those, all those, games all those expos. Oh, exactly. Yeah. All you those know, expos games. All the expos games for twenty-five games each year. I'd right? imagine Stade Olympique for those ex- uh, uh, exhibition games. That seems like that's one of your bigger games. challenges. That, you you that tweeted one? that picture of the the broken down uh, mound. I right. mean, that didn't right. look like a very uh, no. It was a little didn't look like a baseball stadium. Alamo Dome and that and that. Oh those, yeah, that's those, right. Those events, of course, the exhibition games in Mexico City this year. It's a very very hectic year. Yeah. For baseball internationally, you're too good at your job. The more you the more you succeed at it, the more they want you to go do. Well, we'll see. We, we just you know you 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 uh, you're, you're you're excited. They have faith in you. But you know the commissioner Manfred is, is having known him before being a commissioner. He's just so good about getting, or getting, I mean, I just, he's going to be, he's, he's good. Yeah. He's just good. There's a high you level know, of competence that comes from, man, doesn't mean people don't make mistakes, but he, he's just, he, he gets it. And uh, as far as international peace, it's a, the play ball program, all that, it just, 
you know, really getting into the into the details. I can't, as a North Carolinian, I just can't, I'm so proud of this. I mean, the state has so much baseball heritage. I mean, Fayetteville is supposedly where Babe Ruth hit a professional home run. That's one of the oh, old stories wow. they tell there. Right. But it has such a history of minor league and amateur baseball, and now with you know, we're a tiny part of it at Baseball America, but having been here for 35 years now. Sure, sure. Uh, Miles Wolf boys. That's right, that's right. <laughs> but U- USA Baseball being here since 2003 now. Very familiar with that you know, So we, we uh, it's a governing body of baseball in this country sure. on the amateur level. Sure. Help so this is a, yeah. Help to build that. Help yeah. to build that. Oh, that complex is incredible. Turned out nice. I'll tell you what, there was a home run derby there the other day with the 18U and the 12U kids yeah. Yeah. doing a home run derby. That's a tough place to hit a home run. Yes, it is. That's a tough ballpark. It's not as tough as TD Ameritrade in Omaha, but it's a tough place to ho- really? hit a home run. Not as tough as Omaha. I'm looking forward to seeing how this one plays because the wind comes across. So we got our storms from here, right? This is going to ask you, yeah. So we're going to have a it's 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 orientated in the third north. third base to first base breeze is what you're saying absolutely. all right absolutely so you got you got that prevalent pretty much most of the day I mean that's where it comes across so we got our due north right up the third baseline so okay. it, it is dialed in so easterly breezes yes east by southeast breezes yeah. are going to come through so we'll here we'll see we'll see how she plays in the evenings I'm excited to see how it plays I'm uh, very excited to have this interview actually happen. Actually, yeah. write this column, put this online with it. Uh, Great. Murray, is a pleasure. Right. So Thank glad you. to actually uh, get to meet you in person. Same here. Same this here, has been John. fun. This concludes our program. Want more in-depth baseball coverage? Be a better fan. Visit BaseballAmerica.com to get more comprehensive baseball coverage. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.